Good to see you, good to be here. I've actually been uh, a little bit more erratic over the last few weeks. In the last, last four Sundays, I've only actually been here on Easter weekend, because I've been preaching in other churches, and then I had one Sunday where I was on holiday and went to another local church. Actually, my first Sunday with no kind of responsibilities since August 2016, and it was amazing just to go and, after nearly two years, to go and sit in a service with no responsibility. It's actually really refreshing, but uh, good to be back here this morning. So there's a whole bunch of people I haven't seen before. If you're new, sorry, I haven't met you before, but I haven't been around much the last few weeks, and uh, this is one of those mornings where I'm preaching both here and at 502 Ashley Road, so as soon as I finish speaking here, I'll be shooting down the road, so won't get to meet you either this morning, but hopefully will another time. 116 years ago, uh, the building on Ashley Road, which we now use for our congregation down there, was opened. 93 years ago, congregation started to meet on this site, on Alder Road, as uh, the estate was built here on Alder Road, and other churches in the area said we need to start a new church, and start a new church here. Uh, the church on Ashley Road started as that area was developed 100 years ago. Uh, last week, I was up at Grace Church in Waterloo in London. I was appointing a couple of elders up there. That's a church which started three and a half years ago. My friends Andrew and C. Haslam gathered a group of people, and now they've grown remarkably. They have two services. They meet in the morning and they meet in the evening because of the way that God has blessed them and how they've grown. And it was fantastic to be with them and to be involved in appointing elders, seeing that church move from church planting stage to growing into maturity, just amazing to be with them and to be part of that. Uh, this September, well, the end of August, we'll be sending Ian and Lindsay Kennedy out from us to go and start a new congregation in Glasgow. Uh, it's going to be hugely costly for us in terms of missing them and uh, all that they bring to us, and we're trying to work out how we uh, accommodate the loss of Ian and Lindsay, and, and I should ask for your prayers for us and us as we, as, as an eldership team, work through what we do, how we, uh, how we uh, replace Ian and what way we do that. So it's a challenge for us, but a great privilege to be part of sending them out to start a new church. They've got 20 or so people already who are saying we want to be with you in Glasgow starting a new church. Our plan is they'll move end of August. Uh, Lindsay starts her new job in the hospital September. Ian will begin to gather people, aim of starting the church in January next year. Uh, so we need to keep praying for them. Now, this is amazing. And uh, we need to keep doing these things again and again, whether it's our story of 116 years ago, 93 years ago, in the Lindsay going this year. We need to keep doing it again and again, seeing the gospel move forward, seeing new churches started, seeing towns, cities, villages impacted with the truth of the gospel. Uh, today we're starting a new series looking at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a 30-year history of spirit-empowered mission. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. It could equally as well, or probably actually even better, be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit empowering the disciples of Jesus Christ to go out to the nations and to start churches, to preach the gospel, to see people come to faith in Christ. And our uh, plan is that between now and June, over the next seven weeks, that we work our way through Acts chapters 1 to 6. This describes the church being established in Jerusalem, the church being born, and uh, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit at work amongst them. And then we'll have a break over the summer, do some other things, and then in September through to Christmas, we'll pick it up again and work through the rest of Acts. And that unpacks the story of mission to the nations as what the disciples experience in Jerusalem 
bursts out and goes on a, a huge rapid spread around the Mediterranean region. Now, for many of us, as we get into the book of Acts, uh, these will be very familiar stories. See, one of the uh, strange things in my own personal ministry is that I've never actually uh, preached through the book of Acts in a series before, which seems weird when I've been uh, preaching regularly for over 20 years now. We've preached many sermons from Acts, and uh, many of these stories are very familiar. But let's, if you're familiar with the stories, let's come with fresh faith about how God can speak to us through the book of Acts and what he wants to do in us. Because this is our story, the story which Acts tells of these 30, first 30 years of the church is our story. It directly connects to the, how we got to be here as a congregation. It directly connects to how Grace Church Waterloo got started three years ago. It directly connects to Ian and Lindsay starting a new church in Glasgow over the next few months. It's our story. And so this morning, the things that I'm praying that we'd experience is that together, corporately, those of us, those of us who are part of Gateway Church would experience fresh faith that, yes, we can do it again, that we can see something of what happened in the book of Acts happening in our experience. I'm praying as well for personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. might be that uh, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and uh, maybe you just got a little bit rusty, a little bit dry. And what you need this morning is a fresh encounter with the living water of God poured out into your life again. Jesus promised us living water. He said he'd give us water which never dries out. And uh, it might be that this morning what you need to know is a fresh touch, a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. And there'll be opportunities to pray for you that you might receive again. It might be that you've never encountered God. You're not even sure who God is. It might be that today you have an experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit which opens your eyes so you can see who God is and you come before him with joy and with worship. And then a third thing I'm praying for is that uh, what we look at this morning would help prepare us for this evening. We're gathering again this evening, 7 o'clock at 5.02 to come and worship. It's a time when uh, we do have more flexibility. We haven't got to worry about children's ministry and all that kind of thing. We just can come and enjoy the presence of God, worship together, uh, hear his voice speaking to us, expect the exercise of spiritual gifts amongst us. So I'm hoping that what I bring this morning would help prepare us for further experience of God as we gather this evening. So Lord, I do pray that you'd be with us now. I pray as we open the scriptures, we think about this 30-year story told in the book of Acts about the, uh, the birth of the church and the, the spread of the church uh, as the Holy Spirit was poured out on your, on your disciples. I, pr- I pray, Lord, that you would Presence yourself amongst us here today. I pray that we would know the reality of God amongst us and God at work in us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you've got a Bible, if you can grab one out of the seats. If you haven't already, we're Book of Acts, which is page 1092. Going to be looking at the first two chapters today. I'm not going to read it all because it's rather too much to read the whole thing and talk on the whole thing. So. Just going to be focusing on different portions of these first two chapters of the book of Acts. It begins like this. It's Luke writing. Luke writes, in my former book, which we know as the Gospel of Luke, it's writing to his friend Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them 
and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's a fascinating line. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. There seems to be this indication that even when Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples, there at times was questions, has this really happened? And so Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, and eating with them was one of the convincing proofs because it's flesh and blood that eats, it's not ghosts that eat, it's not apparitions that eat. He was amongst them eating. It was a convincing proof that he really was alive from the dead. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their, their focus was a kind of a political focus. Are we going to overthrow our Roman oppressors? Are you going to give us political liberty again, Lord? And Jesus answers like this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Your vision of the kingdom being restored to Israel is far too small. What's going to happen, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit is given to you, is something that will affect all the nations of the earth. You need to get a bigger vision, and that will happen when the Holy Spirit is poured out. It says that Jesus gave them instructions through the Holy Spirit. And he promises that they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive power. And he tells them that as a consequence of this, they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Luke's book of Acts tells us the story of this Spirit-empowered mission. The Holy Spirit empowering his people and them going on a mission to the ends of the earth. Acts 1 and 2 we're looking at today tells a story about the coming of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit was given. Acts 2 to 12 then describe for us how the mission of the church expands, begins in Jerusalem and then expands out into Judea and Samaria. And then Acts 13 and 15 uh, tell us how it goes from there out into what we'd now think of more as... uh, uh, next slide, Nancy. You need to speed it up. Sorry, my love. I didn't realize it had animations. These are PJ Smythe slides, which I've stolen. I didn't realize there had animations in them. Can you flick onto the next one? Whenever it works. Uh, <coughs> there you go. Uh, the gospel spreads uh, out from Jerusalem into what we would now think of uh, largely as Turkey. You might need to click on it again, because I think it's probably going to animate again. There you go. Look at that. Didn't even know it did that. Thank you, PJ Smythe. Uh, So what we'd think of as Turkey in this, out from Jerusalem, there's another apostolic base established in Antioch, which is especially associated with the Apostle Paul, and we'll be thinking about that. And then uh, Acts 16 through to 28 describes how the gospel then goes on to regions even beyond that, into what we, uh, into Greece, and, and even beyond that as Paul goes to Rome and as he anticipates getting to Spain. The gospel keeps spreading and Spreading. It's a 30-year story of spirit-empowered mission. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples and the apostles to 
to do this, to go to the four corners of the Mediterranean, is the same Spirit who is empowering us. And we are called to the same mission that those disciples were called to, to go to our Judah, to our Jerusalem, to our Judah, our Samaria, our, and our ends of the earth. The call upon us is to let's do it again. Uh, my friend PJ Smythe, who leads the Advanced Family of Churches, which we are part of, he talks about this often. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. What could we do in 30 years? Acts tells a 30-year history. What can be accomplished in the space of 30 years? I think back over the past 30 years, my personal experience over the past 30 years, and how I have seen new churches started in every corner of the UK. I have seen friends of mine and people I know go to town after town around the UK to start new congregations to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen people go to parts of the world I'd never imagined we've had connections with. I think all the different nations that I've personally been to because of gospel partnerships and gospel friendships and gospel mission and all the people I've met and known and befriended from other nations I haven't been to who've come and visited uh, us in the UK because we're part of this global mission together. Over the past 30 years, it's been extraordinary what has happened. It's, you can lose sight of it because we tend to live in the, in, the, in, the, in the now, but thinking back these past 30 years, all the churches that have started that I know about and all the nations that we have connection with and what I've experienced and what we see and who we have connection with is just a tiny slice of what God is doing around the world. Absolutely amazing. Now what could God do in the next 30 years? You might say, well, I'm not even sure I'm going to be here in 30 years' time. <laughs> and not all of us will. Uh, some of the, those of us who are younger, maybe some of those who are younger, maybe you've got two lots of 30 left. Maybe you've got another 60 years or more. What could God do in two lots of 30? Maybe some of us think we've got 30 years left. I'm nearly 48. By the grace of God, I'll make it into my late 70s. What could God do in my life and through me in the next 30 years? Some of you might not make it another 30 years in terms of your life now, but what could your legacy be? And what could we do? Because it's about us as a corporate people. What could we do as a body? What can we do? What could this church do over the next 30 years? What impact might we have in our Jerusalem? What impact might we have in Paul and Bournemouth in this conurbation over the next 30 years? And how many new churches might we be part of? How many more Ian and Lindsay's might we raise up and then send out over the next 30 years? How many more of those might we get to be a part of? How many more of those might we get to do? And how many more nations might we get to go to? And how many more nations might we have come and bless us? Just think what might happen over 30 years. Jesus speaks to his disciples by the Holy Spirit. He promises them the Holy Spirit and says as a consequence they're going to go to their hometown and to the nearby regions and then to the regions beyond, to the ends of the earth in a spirit-empowered mission. And then chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The day of Pentecost came. Now, Pentecost, that word comes from the Greek word for 50th. And the reason for that is that Pentecost happened 50 days after the Passover. And the Passover was the time when the people of Israel celebrated God's deliverance of them from Egypt. It was also the time when the barley harvest came in. 
And so there was a kind of a double celebration at this time. There was a festival of Passover, but there was also the festival of the first fruits, when the people of Israel would bring the first crop, the first part of their harvest, and offer it in worship to God. It was a kind of a harvest festival type celebration. And then Pentecost, 50 days later, was the beginning of the wheat harvest. So Passover barley harvest, Pentecost wheat harvest. And we might think, well, what relevance does this have to us? Uh, We're not really very kind of aware of different harvest times in our urban setting, but these things matter. Now, immediately before uh, the, the, the barley harvest, immediately before uh, Passover was the month of Ada, and that was the month when the almond blossom came into bloom. A little picture of almond trees there at the bottom. And when you see something about almond trees in the Bible, there's a clue there about what God is going to do, which we can miss because we're not, we're not aware of, of the significance of it. Uh, those of us who are doing community Bible reading together this week, we got into Jeremiah, and it's going to be something of a, a challenge for us to get through Jeremiah over the next uh, weeks. It can be a challenging book. But at the beginning of Jeremiah, God speaks to Jeremiah, and he gives Jeremiah kind of a, a prophetic test. Does Jeremiah have prophetic vision? And the first question that God asked Jeremiah is this, what do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah see, says, I see the branch of an almond tree. You might have read that this week if you're, if you're doing community Bible reading with us and think, that's, what is it? Why, why the branch of an almond tree? Why, why is God asking what he sees and he sees a branch of an almond tree? What's, what's that about? Well, the thing about the almond tree is it's a sign of hope. Because the almond trees blossom at the end of winter before the first harvest come. And so when the almond tree comes into blossom, it's a sign that harvest is just around the corner that the hungry times are coming to an end, the lean times are coming to an end, the time of harvest, the time of celebration is approaching. Now, Jeremiah is, a, is a, generally a, a sad book. It's a time which describes the, when Israel was just in a terrible condition and ends up with Israel being overrun by enemies. But right at the beginning, what does Jeremiah see? He sees an ar- almond branch. Right at the beginning of the prophecy, there's a sign of hope. Because God is going to bring his people into hope. He's going to bring them into celebration. He's going to bring them into harvest. Now, this last week, we've had this sudden shift in our weather from this very wet, cold spring. Just a few weeks ago, we were fighting our way through ice and snow, and suddenly, bang, the sun comes out and the temperature goes up. And it's extraordinary to watch the impact upon the trees, that suddenly the blossom has come out. The leaves have come out just... Two days sunshine and bang, everything opens up. And that's kind of what's going on here. It's why, the, why Pentecost is significant. It's why 50 days is significant. Passover had happened. Pentecost was coming. Promise. There's promise on the, on the wind. Passover follows the almond blossom. Passover is that moment of liberation. It's the The moment when God rescues his people, takes them out from slavery in Egypt and brings them 
out into his promise. And it's a time when you reap the first fruits, when you get the barley harvest. It's, it's, it's when you come before God and you offer that before God. And the people at that time would have offered unleavened bread and they'd have brought a sheaf of grain as an offering to God. And then 50 days later, Pentecost comes and it's the wheat harvest. And now it's not just unleavened bread, it's full loaves of bread. You can't make good bread with barley. You make poor bread with barley. You wait for the wheat and from the wheat you make the good bread. The Passover is the beginning of the promise being worked out. Pentecost is its fulfillment. And so they wait. These disciples wait. They wait from Passover. They wait from Easter. They wait for seven weeks. They wait for 50 days. And then the Spirit comes. The promise is fulfilled. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Easter happens at Passover. Easter is Exodus. It's rescue from death, from slavery. And then Pentecost comes, and Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is going to transform the disciples. It's actually going to transform the world as those disciples go out on a spirit-empowered mission to the ends of the earth. Now, it takes them a little while to get going. Pentecost comes, the spirit falls on them, they're transformed. It takes a little while to get going before they really get going to the nations. It's actually not until we get to Acts chapter 8 that you really see the church kind of pushing out aggressively beyond Jerusalem. But the fact that what God is doing in sending his Holy Spirit, the fact that that is for the nations, is immediately clear in what happens to the disciples when they receive the Holy Spirit. Let's keep reading. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, this is really important. These, these, people are, these are Jewish people, so it's still kind of restricted to just the Jews, but it's Jews who've come from the nations. Jews are scattered amongst the nations and they've they've come back for the celebration. They've come back for the Pentecost feast. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? It's a good question. What it means is that God is beginning to fulfill his plan to reach all nations. It's always been God's plan to reach all nations. We see that right back early on in the story when God calls Abraham. Abraham who becomes father of the, uh, of the Israelite nation, father of the Jews, when God calls Abraham, we see right back then that there's an expectation that the good news of God's grace and love, of blessing to the nations, is going to come to all peoples. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and says to him, 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Pentecost is the moment at which that begins to be put into place. It's the moment when the wheels get turning. It's the moment when this blessing, this promise of blessing to all peoples begins to get enacted. And the disciples, this crowd gathered in the upper room waiting, suddenly they're given a divine ability to speak in other languages and they go out into the streets proclaiming the wonders of God. Language is something which unites us. The way that we communicate so much is through the words we say, the where we make our intentions and desires and everything known is, is by the use of language. It's through words, but that means that language also can divide us. If you go to a foreign country and you can't speak their language and they can't speak your language, it makes communication much more complex. It makes everything much more difficult. Not being able to share a language causes division, just as sharing a language can cause uh, you to be able to communicate with other people. Now, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the last story that is told before God's call of Abraham is a story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. It's a story about the human race kind of setting itself up against God. The peoples of the earth gather together and build a great tower, and it's like they're kind of saying, we don't really need God, or we can do it our way. And God isn't prepared for them just to do it their own way. And it says in Genesis 11, God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. God gives them different languages so they are no longer united against him, but they're divided against one another and they scatter throughout the earth. It's a story that's told. And then the very next story is a story of Abraham. And what does God say to Abraham? God says to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's this amazing double-sided story there in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, that God is not prepared to allow the human race to be united in opposition against him. But God has always planned for us to be united in relationship with him. And at Pentecost, bam! Suddenly, it begins to happen as these disciples go out onto the streets proclaiming the wonders of God in languages which are not their own. Now, this gift of, of, of tongues as written or languages, which I think is actually better because when we talk about tongues, it's kind of, it sounds a bit strange. We would more normally speak about, you don't say, what tongue do you speak? We are, what language do you speak? So, Languages, I think, is the better term. This, this gift of languages can maybe be a bit confusing to us, as it was to the people in Jerusalem. What does this mean? If you hear somebody speaking in another language, uh, it can seem a bit weird. might be that some of you are not used to this, and maybe you come into setting in church, and at times maybe there's people speaking in another language next to you. Maybe on a Sunday morning you can hear somebody speaking in another language, in the row next to you as we, as we worship this evening as we gather We'll be speaking in other languages, I'm sure, and it can seem a bit weird. And the reality is also that the, the gift of languages can encourage somewhat weird people to act in somewhat weird ways. Just, just 
goes with the territory. And you do have all kinds of weird things going on in some churches, and we strive to do all we can not to be weird. But the gift of languages is a gift from God, and it's one of the signs of God's empowering presence. It's a gift that personally I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that when I was young, God kind of released a gift of languages in me. It's been very important for me in terms of my worship of God. Helps, helps me as I come into God's presence to know my, kind of, my spirit stirred up to speak in a language which God gives. And more than that, it's not just kind of a personal, about personal relationship with God, but clearly the gift of languages here is connected to mission. It's about spirit-empowered mission. It's the disciples going onto the streets and actually speaking other human languages, which other people understand. And they say, how is it possible that these people are speaking our languages when they don't know our languages? They're declaring the wonders of God. How does that happen? Something similar, although also different, happens on in the story. Let's just jump ahead of a few weeks, just for illustration, Acts 10, the story of Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is a Roman, and he's seeking God and has a vision, and an angel comes to him and says, send for Peter. Let Peter come to you and explain to, me, explain to you the way of God. And this is a moment of, of gospel breakthrough, because up until Acts 10, all those being reached with the gospel, even outside Jerusalem, as they push out of Jerusalem, it's still, it's still basically Jewish people who are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Acts 10 is the key moment of further breakthrough, another kind of bang moment when suddenly those not part of the people of Israel hear the gospel and respond. It's a really crucial time. It's a mission moment. And in Acts 10, 44, it says, while Peter was speaking these words, while he was preaching about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in languages, tongues, and praising God. Peter goes to speak. It's a huge moment for him as a Jew. Jews weren't meant to associate socially with Romans to go into the house of a Roman, especially a Roman soldier as as Cornelius was, was a kind of a massive kind of taboo thing, a massive taboo he had to cross. He goes and he starts to speak about Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on Cornelius and his household of, of Romans. And the Spirit of God opens their mouths to proclaim God's wonders. Now, there's no indication here that they speak in other languages, which are human languages. It might have been that they're speaking in in Languages which don't make sense to any human, and often when we speak in other languages, that spiritual gift, it isn't a human language at all. It's just a kind of a release of praise to God, which the Holy Spirit inspires and gives to us. But the results of the Holy Spirit coming and releasing that gift of languages on Pentecost Sunday was the proclamation of his wonders which led to a great turning to Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his household, there's a pouring out of languages of praise to God. That's what happens. The Spirit of God causes praise to be poured out to God, which is part of the mission of God. And on this Pentecost day, there's a great turning to Jesus as the disciples pour out onto the streets and as the Holy Spirit is poured onto them and flows out from them. And the Apostle Peter stands up and 
begins to explain what is going on, begins to explain who Jesus is and what he's done. And we haven't got time to read the whole of his Pentecost sermon. We'll just pick it up at the end in verse 36. Peter says, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter stands up, he explains who Jesus is, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says to the crowd, you need to repent, you need to turn from your former way of life, and then you need to get baptized, because baptism is the, is the sign of this new life. It's a way of you washing away all your rebellion against God, and it's a sign that you're raised to new life in Christ. It's, uh, it's your Passover moment. It's your exodus moment getting baptized. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit just as we have because that is what Jesus has promised and that is what is now happening. It's interesting when we get to Acts 10 and that story of Cornelius, it, the order is somewhat switched around that Peter's speaking and the Holy Spirit is poured out on Cornelius and his household. And then Peter says, whoa, the Holy Spirit's come. We better get these people baptized quick. It's kind of the, the whole order is switched around. But you see those, those three things every time. It's, it's repent, Believe, get baptized, Holy Spirit. That's what's meant to happen. Sometimes the order switches around. Sometimes you kind of, you're wrestling with your sense of losses from God first and come to that place of baptism and then you receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just kind of comes upon people and you, you suddenly see who God is and then you need to tidy things up by getting baptized. It, the order isn't so important as experiencing them all. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. When Peter declares this and when the people respond, when they get baptized, there's an immediate impact. So the immediate impact of this huge crowd, 3,000 responding on that day. And the impact is then described in the following chapters we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. It affects how they live together as a new community, the way that they do life is transformed, the way that they see themselves and other people and how the church is formed and what church looks like. Something new and wonderful is born. A new community starts, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a boldness for witness which they receive. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see that tower in times of real pressure and hardship. These converts, these believers in Christ, these spirit-empowered followers of God have a great boldness to keep on proclaiming the truth of God. There's an experience of miracles. The apostles heal many, do signs and wonders empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then there's mission to the nations. As they're sent from Jerusalem out, and the gospel spreads throughout the Mediterranean region. Now, what about us? Why don't we do it again? And we also need to know the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And we can know the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit because 
we serve the same God as those first disciples did, and God's promise stands. This is promise, as Peter said, it's for you and for all those who are far off, the promise of the Holy Spirit. We can know the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit at work in us and amongst us and through us. And we're called into the same mission as those disciples were. The job isn't yet done. There are still countless millions of people who do not know Jesus Christ. There are still people groups, other languages who've never yet heard about Jesus. The work is not yet done. We're called into mission. We're called into mission in our Jerusalem here, Paul and Bournemouth. We're called into mission in our Judea and Samaria, pushing out into the UK. We're called into mission to the ends of the earth. We are, just as those first disciples were. And the same Holy Spirit empowers us as empowers them. Let's do it again. What could we do over the next 30 years? What could we do in the next 30 years if we follow the lead of God's Spirit at work amongst us? Let's do it again. This morning, my prayer for us is there be a response of faith, a stirring in our hearts of, yes, by God's grace, we can do it again. Through us, next 30 years, there could be incredible fruit that comes out of this congregation of God's people. I'm praying for refreshing for those of you who are just a bit dusty and dry, rusty, clogged up. You would know living water again. This morning I was out walking and praying uh, before the service and I saw a little girl walking along arm in arm, hand in hand with her dad and she was skipping along as little five-year-old girls do. And kind of my first response was a bit of a pang because I remember when my kids were five and they'd walk along skipping, which is what five-year-old girls do. And then they're they grow up and they don't walk along hand in hand with you skipping anymore, and it's a bit sad. <laughs> and I, Nancy, do you want to come and skip with me? <laughs> and uh, it makes you anticipate grandchildren. <laughs> no pressure, Nancy, Susie, but I'm anticipating grandchildren at some point, and I can s- skip along with my granddaughters again. But then I've also just... I just felt kind of the prompting from the Lord that actually, for some of us, it's a bit like that, that it's been a long time since you've skipped. And what you need is a refreshing from God. Get that skip in your heart again. Get that skip in your soul. Get that skip of faith. And so we'd love to believe for that this morning, God to refresh us. And then mission. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church of God, not just so we can have a happy, holy time, but so that we are pushed out into mission to the town around us and to the nations of the world. That's what it's for. It's not to be kept huddled up. It's, we're, to be, we're to be going. We're to be a people on the move. We're to be a people on mission. Even as we gather tonight at our worship night, as we expect to experience the activity, the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us, in the end, that's for mission to push us out to the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.